Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Tucker Goodrich is a technology executive in the financial industry who designs, runs, and debugs complex systems in high-risk environments. After experiencing a personal health crisis and realizing that the medical field wasn't helping him overcome his health issues, he started applying the same approach in evaluating data to determine the root causes of his ailments. His research has led him to the importance of removing wheat, processed carbohydrates, and especially vegetable oils. Today, he is an expert advisor for the nutrition startup Nutria. He has appeared on many podcasts and has written several interesting articles on his blog, Yelling Stop. He is very active on Twitter, at Tucker Goodrich, and seems to enjoy a lot of cold activities in the western part of the United States. Tucker Goodrich, welcome to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Casey. And you're up in Boise, is that right? I'm in Boise, Idaho, yes. You take some amazing photos, but most of them look really, really frigid cold. <laughs> well, you you just got to get used to it. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. I was doing this cold adaptation thing long before most people ever thought it was a thing. Um, but just because I enjoyed being out in the winter and doing crazy things like riding motorcycles all winter long and wow. just, you know, so, <laughs> you know, the rule is with gear and a little effort, you can get used to almost anything. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I thought I was into cold therapy, but your your pictures make me <laughs> shudder a little bit. We're the ones that are laying out when it's, you know, 35 degrees. If the sun's out, we're outside, full sun exposure. Like we're out there too, just, just not in the kind of extremes that you are. <laughs> So one day my wife was saying like, hey, uh, you should have Tucker on the show. And I said, um, well, I don't think he's very interesting. He doesn't have a lot to say. He's cute for sure. He's like, no, stupid, not our dog, <laughs> Tucker Goodrich. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's a good idea. He's way smarter. <laughs> um, I, I can't tell you how many dogs named Tucker I've met in my life. It makes it very interesting when I go to a dog park and I hear Tucker and they're not talking to me. That's great. <laughs> Uh, that's great, man. You have, how many lives have you lived? <laughs> you have done a lot of stuff all over the place in different industries. Um, I'm just so excited to hear your story. Um, I, you know, I just want to start from the top, how, how you got to where you were and what lessons you learned along the way and any rabbit holes we want to go down in between. Well, boy, that's, uh, Let's just say I've always been a big believer in the value of serendipity in keeping an open mind and being open to opportunities as they come along. And that uh, led me pretty quickly onto Wall Street and shortly thereafter into the hedge fund industry where I started as a combination kind of IT guru, self-taught IT guru, and um, a trader in the merger arbitrage business, which is, you know, when Coke wants to buy Pepsi and they fight about it, and hopefully people make money trading the two stocks as they're going through that process. Um, self-taught. But I, I, just, also, I just want to, self-taught. Self, yes, self-taught. Wow, um, okay. <laughs> I only, the first, uh, the only computer class I took was in basic in eighth grade on some ancient Apple computer that I can't even remember the name of. Wow. Maybe it may have been a, um, I don't know what it was, but that was a long time ago. Like big five um, inch floppy disks. I remember those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> things. You're dating yourself too. Damn. That's, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the old joke, daddy, why do you call this a floppy disk? It's not floppy and it's not a disk. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> I just had a knack for it, for the IT stuff. And I wound up when the uh, merger arb business went south, um, the hedge fund I was working for, which was in a bunch of different businesses, well, I had built a simple risk management system for the group that I was trading with. And they asked me to go full-time in that and expand it to cover the whole company. And then also to take over the company's um, IT stuff, which I had been sort of doing in my spare time at that point. And if you can imagine what it's like having spare time when you're trading global markets was, all around the world. I was just going to ask, I thought as a trader, aren't you working like a hundred hour work weeks? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, it was actually a really good thing because it made me really lazy, right? I figured out how to spend the absolute least amount of time doing that part of the job. And it made me very efficient and very effective. So it was useful. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm chugging along doing this thing and uh, I get to the point where I'm, you know, and it, it was, it was a great gig. It was a great company. And what started out as my part-time job wound up, the company wound up getting quite big and I wound up having 20 odd people, um, working with me, a lot of comp side people. And so, you know, my little self-taught hobby wound up in being this big enterprise and this big part of the firm. Um, so I had the largest piece of the company's budget under my control. So it was, you know, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. So, you know, and anyway, I'm rolling along and one day, um, I literally wake up and I take a shower and I've got some weird vision thing going on and I can't, well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I was never interested in any sort of diet stuff. My mother grew up with a weight problem and was always on Weight Watchers and reading all these wacky books. So I pretty much wrote the whole thing off and just assumed if you followed kind of the food pyramid, you'd do okay, right? That, totally. Right, that they had top people on it and they probably knew what they were talking about. I referred to myself to my two daughters as Mr. Whole Wheat and tried to encourage getting them to eat it, which they refused to do quite <laughs> diligently. My daughter's favorite quote on this particular topic, um, I said to her, the dog eats more vegetables than you do. And she replied, the dog drinks more toilet water than I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Like, Good point. <laughs> How old was um, she? <laughs> Oh boy, I don't remember. That was a while That's ago. Great. She was she was a real wit right off the bat. <laughs> you know, I I tried to eat healthy, and I had had a lot of dental problems when I was a kid. Um, and my dentist, when I was probably nineteen years old, told me that if I wanted to stop seeing him all the time, that I should stop eating sugar. So I did. And, you know, I would look at the labels wouldn't buy any food with any added sugar, um, was very careful about it and didn't, didn't get another cavity until the office got a candy dish. And I started sucking on mints for a little while and then <laughs> got a small cavity and stopped, stopped that. Um, so in, you know, from 30 odd years, I've had exactly one tiny cavity. So that worked great. Right. Um, so then here I am going to work one morning and something's odd with my vision, but I'm running late. So I don't really worry about it as I get out of the shower and I get in the car and I'm driving down the highway. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, this car pops, pops out of nowhere, right in front of me. Right. And I was shocked <laughs> and I looked to the right and I realized that there was an exit ramp or an entrance ramp full of cars coming up the highway. But if I looked straight ahead, I couldn't see them. Wow. So I had lost about a third of my vision from, you know, the right side of my peripheral vision to the side of my straight ahead vision. It was just a big blind spot. So if I looked ahead, nothing existed over there. And I was like, what on earth is going on here? You know, but again, I was on the way to work. So didn't think too much of it, just turned my head a little bit more to see what was going on over there. And then I got to work and I had to get into a conference call. And I realized partway through the conference call, people were asking me questions and I couldn't respond to them. I could think what I wanted to say, but I just, I was having trouble getting the words out. And at that point, I realized something was wrong because as you will see in this discussion, I don't really have a problem talking generally. <laughs> um, so. I went, you know, I managed to excuse myself from the call and went to my boss's office and managed to say that I wasn't able to speak. Now, I got, one of the guys who worked for me was a EMT. So my boss called him in and he diagnosed me as having a minor stroke, a TIA, a transient ischemic attack. Whoa. And he, 38 years old, mind you, right? Um, and I thought a healthy guy. Um, so he popped me in his car and drove me to the local stroke specialty hospital, which he knew an ambulance would not take me to immediately. 
Um, and they stuck me in a CAT scanner and I spent the next four days there, um, 38 years old, fairly dreadful experience. Cause I mean, it was a teaching hospital. So there I am sitting in the stroke ward all by myself and the students come up and they're like, I was like, well, I must be really boring for you guys. And they're like, no, you're fascinating. We never see anybody your age. All of our patients are always old. And I'm like, oh, this is really lovely. This is not the place I want to be interesting. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. So, you know, I talked to the um, doctor slash professor and he, you know, I told him to get me out of there and he started explaining to me what the what having a TIA could mean for you and what it meant in terms of your likelihood of having another one, which go up dramatically. And, you know, if you're 38 years old and you're planning on living into your nineties, you're going to have a lot of strokes. So this was kind of scary. Um, so anyway, they did all sorts of tests. They never could figure out what was going on. I started doing research into it um, myself because this is what I did. Right. Um, whenever I had a problem, I would educate myself on the topic I managed to get the uh, the neurologist to change his diagnosis after I found a paper online that detailed very similar symptoms to mine that were not the result of a stroke. And he commented to me, this is the first time in my career, this is the professor at a you know teaching hospital. He said, this is the first time in my career I've changed my diagnosis because of information that a patient gave to me. Wow. That was pretty cool. So I was definitely thinking about things the right way. Um, so, you know, life continues two years later. Um, similar thing happens. I start getting cramps in my abdomen in the office. Again, I lie down on the floor for a little while. Um, it's so painful. I decide I've got to go to the hospital. Uh, I don't want to go back to that same hospital. Hospitals in New York are not nice places. Um, so I get in my car and I drive back to Connecticut where I was living at the time, call my doctor. He sees me. He diagnoses me as having a perforated colon due to acute diverticulitis, which basically means I have poop leaking into my peritoneal cavity, the cavity around your ab around your uh, intestines. Not, not ideal. So, not ideal. So I drive myself to the hospital. I barely make it there. And go in and I'll tell you that the secret for getting through triage in the emergency department is they hook, you know, they started interviewing me. I went white. I slumped down in the chair and they had hooked me up to an automatic blood pressure monitor. And it started saying that I was dead. What? So, yeah. So the next thing I hear is the nurse who was interviewing me for admission, calling out medic, medic. And you know, they pop me on a gurney and wheel me off into some bay in the emergency room. Um, agonizing pain. I mean, there's, you know, the, it's hard to believe how much, some, how much a perforated colon hurts. Um, so four days in that place. Um, luckily I had a very good doctor who was able to avoid surgery at that point. And, you know, he told me, I said, what do you think caused this? Um, and he, he said, you know, you're not going to be able to eat fried, uh, fatty foods anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't eat fatty foods. They make me sick. And he just kind of shrugged and, you know, gave me some dietary advice, which was basically to eat more fiber. So this was, you know, Mr. Whole Wheat. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so I started eating even more fiber and just got worse and worse and worse. And six months later, I wound up having to have a colon resection, wow. eight inches of my colon removed. I've heard that is absolutely awful. Well, luckily I, I mean, I really lucked out. I had an awesome surgeon, as I said, who had been keeping up on gut shot, uh, injuries in Iraq and how to treat them. And what he did was pump me full of, um, antibiotics when I had the hole and that was enough to suppress sepsis and let it heal up a little bit. And then six months later, when all the inflammation was gone, he did the operation laparoscopically. So instead of a big cut all the way across my abdomen, he was able to do five little cuts. And I was out of the hospital at a barbecue um, 
at a barbecue pool party two and a half days later. Wow, crazy. So I was I was really lucky to have have the right surgeon. Um, you know, kudos to <laughs> kudos to that guy. Um, but you know, at this point, again, I you know I'm now 40 years old. I remember distinctly when I'm in the hospital and I start reading up on this condition on my phone you know, lying there. And the first thing I come across is risk for this typically goes up after 40 years of age. I was two weeks past my 40th birthday. So I was pissed. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, again, life continues. Um, I went through a stretch of breaking a lot of bones. Um, I broke six bones in two years around this time. I was having all sorts of autoimmune re- responses. I was, you know, I was a mess. Um, and I just figured it was uh, old age. Um, so two years later, I got into this barefoot running thing, which I know you want to talk about. Um, and and one of the guys um, that I'd met doing that sent me a link one day to this PhD student's blog, this fellow named Stefan Guillenet. And I read this and it was all about basically how hundred percent of dental problems are due to poor diet, that there's virtually no genetic component in it. And I'm like, what? It blew my mind. I mean, I was willing to accept that because I, you know, eliminated my cavity problem by eliminating sugar from my diet. But the fact that I had to have eight teeth pulled, um, because my jaw wasn't big enough, the fact that that was also due to diet, that absolutely blew my mind. So I started paying attention to his writings on diet and, you know, as is my want to read all the links to the papers and read all the papers and then read those references, um, I asked him for a couple of suggestions about books, which was uh, Weston Price, of course, um, Gary Taubes's book, Good Calories, Bad Calories. And then when it came out a little while later, Mark Sisson's The Primal Blueprint, mm-hmm. which really got me got me going. And then one day I was in the cafeteria at work and Stefan introduced me to the whole idea that seed oils could be a problem. And I walked to the end of the um, salad bar in the cafeteria and looked at these squeeze bottles of salad dressing there. And I thought to myself, you know, these have got to be the worst, cheapest to make it into this cafeteria. These have got to be the worst, cheapest salad oils that are available. I I said, I wonder what happens if I just stop eating them. Now, as part of the diverticulitis at this point, I'd had chronic diarrhea for 16 years. Um, wow. So I would, you know, and I was very active. Um, and I wound up having to carry a backpack everywhere with a roll of toilet paper in it, just in case. Um, which, you know, kind of stinks. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you some of the scenes that I was in because of that problem, but it's pretty amusing. But you know, not a fun topic. Um, anyway, uh, so two days later, the chronic diarrhea goes away and I've gone back and looked at the email I sent to Stefan after that. And I was just totally blown away. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. 16 years of this and it's gone in two days. It's just incredible. So the next thing, so I stuck with that and, um, I made, you know, since I really didn't know anything about how to properly fix my diet, um, I made a couple of big mistakes. Like one of the things that happened immediately as a result of dropping seed oils out of my diet, um, you know, like most people that age, I've been putting on about a pound a year. So I was 20 odd pounds overweight. Um, the weight and I tried going low carb before to lose the weight because I'd heard it was very effective and it hadn't worked for me because I wasn't able to get around the carbohydrate cravings. So I realized after about, after several days that I hadn't eaten any carbohydrates. It just hadn't occurred to me. I was, had, you know, had no interest in wow. it. So I went back down to that same cafeteria and got myself a sandwich because I was now off the salad bar with whole wheat bread, of course. And went up and ate that and was had this horrible reaction to it. And wheat was another thing of Stefan's. And I was like, come on, this is impossible. I can't be one of these guys who has a wheat problem. Mr. Whole you know, wheat. I'm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is, 
this is like an identity thing for me. And I mean, I remember, you know, so I gave it another week. I, st- I didn't eat any more carbs for the next week. And then I had two slices of pizza and I thought I was having a heart attack. The oh. reaction was so strong. I wound up having to lie down on the sofa in my office and just, you know, for like, take it easy until my heart rate got down to normal. Wow. And then I was, you know, I, so at that point I started doing, reading a lot and doing a lot of trial and error, trying to understand what was going on with this situation. Cause none of the doctors I'd seen had ever mentioned anything about eating more fiber to get rid of the diverticulitis. And of course that hadn't worked. Um, Let's see. So yeah, I realized, you know, I literally had a panic attack when I realized I couldn't eat wheat anymore. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to eat? I'm going to starve to death. So it was, this was a big deal for me. There was a period there where, you know, every time Stefan would post a new blog post, I'd have a panic attack and break out in sweats. Cause I was like, what's you going to tell me next? <laughs> um, but then a little, you know, I kept I kept doing the research because shortly after that, Stefan dropped the whole seed oil topic and he said he didn't find the evidence for it to be compelling anymore at the time he took a new job and he deleted a lot of the posts off his blog, including some of the ones that have been most influential on me. Huh. I didn't um, know that. I didn't realize that. And he, dro- and he dropped the topic. And I mean, I, I still email him occasionally and I asked him once if he'd ever looked into it since then. And he just, you know, he moved on. So, Mm. but I had my experience, right? Um, So I never, I mean, the other, the other big thing, (laughs) this is everybody's, this is probably the best selling point for this. Um, I'd read on Mark Sisson's site, this account of this highly stoked dude who was redheaded and, talked about how he didn't burn anymore. He didn't sunburn, right? (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's fine. He's very enthusiastic. You know, the other stuff is interesting. It's stuck in my head. So a couple of weeks after I dropped seed oils out, I went skiing. I hate sunscreen, so virtually never use it. Um, And, you know, it was bluebird day, full sun all day. I'm out all day. And... The next morning I wake up and I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, I didn't burn. That's kind of interesting, but didn't really think of anything about it. You know, I mean, a few weeks later, my now ex-wife and I went to a, a, another barefoot running event in New York city and um, stood out in the sun for two and a half hours. I would burn in 45 minutes. I mean like tomato burn. Um, So we were out there for two and a half hours in the sun and we got home and my ex-wife looked at me and she said, look how burned I got. And I looked and I said, I didn't burn at all. Now this is significant because she was a dark skinned Colombian, right? So she would get nut brown in the summer on the beach and I hated going to the beach. So this was a common topic of discussion between the two of us. And there she was, you know, burned and there I was fine. And for your listeners, I'm blonde, blue eye, fair skin, right? So I haven't, you know, that was amazing. That was the point where she said she went from he's being nuts to, oh my God, we have to clean everything out of the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) We have to get this poison out of the kitchen. Yep. Um, yeah. So, you know, the extra 20 pounds that I had just dropped off over two months. Um, I got up one morning to go to work and I put my pants on and buckled my belt and let go and they fell right to the floor. Everybody at work is asking me what I'm doing. Cause you know, I'm looking so I've lost all this weight. I'm looking thin. I'm back wearing the clothes that I put away in my twenties when I started getting fat figuring that someday I would figure out what happened and be able to wear them again. Um, in fact, the belt that I still wear is this belt that I bought in New York city when I was in my twenties, um, that I couldn't fit in for probably 15, 16 years. That's amazing. Uh, You know, so yeah, all this was amazing. Oh, the best thing when you get carted by a gay bartender at a bar (laughs) and you're 42 years old, that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) 
hadn't gotten carded in a while. That's amazing. And he's like, let me see your ID. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so that was exceedingly cool. And I mean, I'd had that day where I looked in the mirror and I was like, you know, I was like, dude, you look old. It's like, you know, you're 40. You're like totally over the hill now. So, wow. um, yeah, the sunburn thing just the other day, six hours in the sun up at 7,000 feet. Um, and I'm tan now, no burn. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. No sunscreen. Yep. I mean, you know, that's, this is 10 years into it. And I lived down in Texas for a year and I would go out for three or four hours running or mountain biking and never put a stitch of sunscreen on. Yep. So yep. that's, that's just been totally life altering. That's amazing. And we, we learned some of this from Nadine Artemis, um, a few years ago. Um, and we were fortunate enough to have her on our show and I'm so lucky that I got to learn some of this stuff early on because same, I, I'm like very fair skinned red beard, like 45 minutes. Oh, total, total burn. And I, I haven't burned in years. We, we went a few years ago in the middle of summer to Mexico and not a drop of sunscreen and just, just tan. It's amazing. It's it really is amazing. And you know, it explains so much. Cause if you look, if you look into sunburn and skin cancer, the incidence of skin cancer has been going up consistently for years um, in line with the sales of sunscreen, oddly enough, which mm. doesn't seem to do anything for people. Strange. And also interestingly in line with the consumption of seed oils. Um, so yeah, so Stefan dropped the topic and, you know, removed a bunch of these posts um, including the one that had convinced me to stop eating seed oils. So I was kind of bummed about that. So I kept doing research and I was talking, I started talking to people I worked with and, you know, to my family. And I started at the time I was participating in this big barefoot running uh, news group or email group, I guess I should call it. And, you know, I started talking to people and I started, you know, there was a woman on this group who was, had fibromyalgia and, I started doing some research into what goes on with that. And I was like, look, you could probably really benefit from getting seed oils out of your diet. Fibromyalgia is uh, very closely associated with what they call in the literature oxidative stress, which once you learn how it actually works is basically the process of the fats and seed oils becoming toxins. So, you know, after a little bit of back and forth, cause she thought it was a little ridiculous, she tried it and She's been in remission for probably eight, nine years now. Wow, that's amazing. For, you know, in incurable, quote unquote, autoimmune condition. Wow. Um, my fiance, when we, we went to high school together and just got back together almost two years ago now. And unbeknownst to me, she also had fibromyalgia and had had it for decades. And when we started you know, when I started, you know, cause I don't believe it or not, I really don't like to evangelize this stuff. Um, but we went out to dinner with a friend from also from high school and I have to go through this negotiation process with the waitress or the waiter to figure out what I can eat at a restaurant. And I wound up, you know, I can't have beer cause of the gluten problem and sad. You know, so, huh? Sad. Oh, sad. Yeah. Sad. That was another moment. My, when my ex-wife realized I was serious, when I gave my single malt scotch collection away to a friend, <laughs> oh. <laughs> where was I that day? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a sad day. Um, but, uh, so, you know, we had, so I go through the negotiation process and I wind up eating nothing but sausages. Cause that's the only thing they have that's gluten-free and, uh, hard cider. She's, she looks at my plate. She's like, why are you eating this way? So I, you know, I found out at this point that she was a vegan or near vegan, a Dr. Grieger vegan, which is like the flakiest part of veganness. Um, so I just gave her a really short answer to, you know, how, how one should eat. Cause I didn't want to get into an argument about it. And, you know, that was the end of the conversation and she listened and she's now, her fibromyalgia has also been in remission wow. for almost two years wow. after, you know, 30 years That's crazy. of suffering. Um, you know, so 
I realized that this was something, you know, that this was something where there wasn't, there, there were people who said that you shouldn't eat vegetable oils, but they didn't really explain why. Um, and, you know, Stefan, for a lot of people, had been the real guy who was carrying this message forward. And then when he dropped it, I was like, you know, I don't, you know, I kept doing research and just said, this is a real thing. We got to, you know, somebody's got to tell people about wow. this. Well, we're so glad you are. <laughs> now, I have to say, I was feeling pretty good about myself until you just said something really key. You've been referring to them as seed oils, and I have no idea what the hell seed oils are, but I have lots of vegetable oils, and vegetable oils come from vegetables, and those are super good for you. And you just use the word vegetable oils. Is there a difference between the two? <laughs> well, uh, yes, that I know you know the answer to that, but you <laughs> set that up really well. That was good. That was um, good. <laughs> Yeah, seed seed oils are made from obviously various types of seeds. Like soybean is a seed, uh, corn is a seed, um, cottonseed oil obviously comes from the seed of the cotton plant. Um, Cotton's not a vegetable. Vegetable. Beg your pardon. Uh, uh, cotton is not a vegetable. I don't think. Cotton is definitely not a vegetable. <laughs> you do not want to eat cotton. Um, there's also what I like to distinguish from seed oils as fruit oils, which would be palm oil, olive oil, or avocado oil, right? I mean, an avocado, for instance, has a great big pit in the middle of it. They don't make the oil from the pit. They make the oil from the soft fruit part right. of the avocado. Same with an olive. Yep. And the importance in that is that the fats in a fruit oil versus a seed oil are very different. And it's a specific type of fat in a seed oil that when you eat it in excess seems to lead to these problems in the modern world that we are all experiencing. Our pandemic of chronic disease, including obesity and heart disease and probably certain types of cancer blindness, um, you know, it, the list goes rather on and on, um, in an alarming fashion. So as I've done, continued doing the research on this and often in a lot of cases spurred by excellent questions from people on places like Twitter or in that old email group, um, come to recognize the common mechanism behind a lot of these chronic diseases, um, and in my own experience, I mean, I was going to the, you know, I can't tell you how many times I was hospitalized because of different health related issues back then mm. and everything fixed. Wow. Everything fixed. My allergies have gone away. My, um, you know, I was probably borderline osteopenic based on, you know, six broken bones in two years. And ironically, I'll break the news here. I just broke my rib the other day. Oh no. Um which is pretty funny. Um I was out trail running and I kicked a rock and tripped and landed on my sporty Garmin running watch and it bang oh. edgewise right into the rib. Um but you know my inflammatory state and my healing now is just it's just a st I don't have a bruise. I mean, it hurts a little bit because it's clearly broken. I can feel it moving around. But I mean, you know, yesterday I went for an 18-mile mountain bike ride with my busted rib, and I've been wow. skiing with my busted rib. And, you know, the pain, the level, my level of pain tolerance, and this was one of the early things that happened, has just completely transformed. The first, the first time I noticed this, I was in the ski condo, and I was – you know, I'd gotten up in the morning and I went upstairs for something and I walked back down the stairs and I slipped and fell on the stairs. Boom, flat on my back. And I got up and I was like, okay. And, you know, got ready, went out, skied today and came back, got in the shower and I got out and I looked and there was this enormous bruise across the back of my arm from the fall, but it hadn't hurt. Wow. Right. And I mean, I'm a, I, you know, your mountain biker, if any of your listeners are mountain bikers, they will laugh because that's an activity that involves a lot of falling. And, you know, the pain tolerance, 
it's not even a pain tolerance. It just, things don't hurt as much. Wow. There's one point where I actually got concerned that I was, um, had leprosy. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the symptoms of leprosy is that you're, you know, you, uh, lose the feeling in your fingers and your toes. So I was, I was a little concerned about that. That's, let's just say super unlikely that that's the problem. And I have great feeling and great circulation in my fingers and toes. It's just that, you know, when I get injured, it just doesn't hurt all that much. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. I'm, I'm guessing if you look back on the nature of the breaks of your bones, I'm, I'm sure there's a huge well, difference. The last one was the one that really scared me. I was skiing and I fell down and the tip of my thumb just snapped. That's crazy. And I was, I was like, this is messed up. Wow. Cause, um, it just hit the ground and it snapped like balsa wood or something. Wow. And that was, that really freaked me out. Um, but you know, again, there, luckily shortly after that was when I fixed my diet and there's, you know, broken toes and thumbs. There's not much you do about them actually. So like this broken rib, I mean, you know, the last time I went to a doctor for a broken rib, he laughed at me. So I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I love that. So if, if these things cause so much harm, like how did they make it into our diet and why, why are we not talking about this more? Well, certain places are talking about it a lot. Um, it got into the diet back in the 1800s when the cotton business was able to detoxify cottonseed oil, which was at the time an industrial waste product, basically from cotton production. And it has this toxin, toxic fat in it called gossypol. And they were able to remove that and they realized they could start feeding it to people, right? People didn't want to eat it, so they started adulterating lard with it, which was the main fat source in the United States at the time. Um, and this was a big enough issue so that they actually had congressional hearings in the United States and passed a law about, you know, basically making it illegal to adulterate lard with cottonseed oil without disclosing it to people. And then in 1911, Procter & Gamble launched this new product called Crisco, they had used a German technique to uh, hydrogenate these polyunsaturated uh, cottonseed oils into a hard fat that they sold as a competitor to lard. And as we all know, that was very successful. And part of their argument was, you know, that it was a healthier fat because it came out of the laboratory. Um, there had been a lot of anti uh, butchery propaganda in the form of this, um, book called, oh, I can't, it's Upton Sinclair's book. I can't remember the title right now, but anyway, um, that really turned people off a lot of animal foods. Um, the, you know, seventh day Adventists had been making a big push for vegetarian eating being healthier. So there was, you know, they ran with it. Procter and Gamble did. And instead of selling it to people as candles, they started selling, selling it or soap, they started selling it to us as food. It's crazy. And, you know, when World War I came along and we started running into butter shortages, that encouraged people to eat more and more of these seed oils. And then the medical profession, without really much evidence at all, decided that, well, <laughs> I should rephrase that, Miss understanding the evidence that they had, they decided that saturated fats were bad for you and were probably causative in heart disease. Now you can go find some papers back at the written at the time, looking back at the dietary records, such as they were and saying, but we've been eating saturated fat for a long time. Why all of a sudden is heart disease becoming a big problem? And that's an important thing that even most doctors nowadays don't realize is that Heart disease is a relatively new disease in the uh, level that we see it at today, where, you know, you have a, what, what is it? I think it's a 50% or a third chance of dying from heart disease. Wow. Um, you know, back in the early 20th century, heart disease was pretty rare. And then 
you know, there are all these papers written. Oh, look, heart disease is becoming, you know, in the United States and in England, it's becoming really common all of a sudden. Why is that? Well, the studies that they used in animals, they were using Crisco as their saturated fat, right? <laughs> and Crisco's still got a fair bit of uh, vegetable oil in it because it's partially hydrogenated, right? Because if you fully hydrogenate it, it's like a bar of soap. You can't you know, you can't spread that on anything. Um, right. And then the margarines came along and all of these were promoted as heart healthy without really much evidence. There was some studies done back then that really called this into question, but it was all kind of brushed aside. And we've now learned there were two studies, um, that were done looking at the benefits of seed oils on heart disease and they both hit their findings because their findings were that seed oils lowered LDL, which they do. Um, and, but the people in these studies who were eating seed oils also died of heart disease at a higher rate, which kind of went against the story. And instead of doing what a scientist ought to do, which is report the results of the study, they buried the results. And one of the guys who was doing these studies was a fellow named Ansel Keys, who had been the biggest uh, advocate of this hypothesis that saturated fat caused heart disease. So he did this Minnesota coronary experiment, which was supposed to, for once and for all, prove that saturated fat was the cause of heart disease. And his finding instead was that polyunsaturated fats seed oils were causing heart disease in his experiment. So they just never released the results. And it's, it, we need to point out that that study was very well done. It, they, they got exactly what they wanted in a randomized controlled trial held, yep. I believe in mental institutions where people weren't going anywhere. So you literally could feed them. Um, one of my favorite episodes of Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, talks about this. They they made the food exactly identical, double-blinded everything. It was a really well-done trial. And when they started getting results, they just kind of said, ah, we don't really know what happened. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, it, it, took, it took them It took them 16 years to publish the results of the study. And I mean, you got to understand, I mean, Ansel Keys was on, you know, he was a hero of World War II, which most people don't know because he invented the K-ration, right? Which sure. was the standard food handed out to all the soldiers fighting in World War II. Yep. So, you know, he was an extremely well-regarded scientist and he had been getting criticism. He'd done an early study, the seven earlier study, the seven country study. But that was basically epidemiological. So he was getting a lot of criticism from that. So this was his big push. You know, the best design that we can do, we're going to do it. And it went against him. And, you know, we the only reason we know this is because um, Dr. France. France, um, Ivan France was, I think, the father. Well, that was the father. And he was the guy who was working with Ansel Keys, who actually ran the study. And he's the one who kept all the, or not all, but most of the notes from the study. And his son inherited them and turned turned them over to this scientist at the NIH, Chris, Christopher Ramsden, who had uncovered that both of these studies were essentially scientific fraud. So, and as you know, Ram, Ramsden's written a paper in which he says, look, if we'd known the results of this study, we wouldn't be telling everybody to eat vegetable oils because they're heart healthy, which is still the American Heart Association. So crazy. Uh, message, even though we know that it's not, you know, it's, it's just not justified. And I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, the American Heart Association came out with a presidential advisory on this topic. And, you know, I went through it and read what they said and read the papers and they just, you know, really the only thing you can say is they just balls faced lied about what the evidence was that they had to support this. Wow. They used, they claimed that any study that was less than two years long had to be excluded. 
because the effect of vegetable oils took two years to happen. And they linked to this one paper that had nothing whatsoever to do with that. And then another paper that expressly said that the effect of seed oils happened in two weeks. Two weeks. Wow. So they just lied about what the paper said. And I guess assumed that nobody would go and read the evidence. That's so crazy. This whole thing is just so bonkers. I'm going to link to that episode of Revisionist History um, in the notes. I believe it's- I didn't, I didn't know that he'd done that. So please send me that link yeah, too. Yeah, I will. It's great. It's great. Um, and that's, I think, season two, episode 10. And it it really captures like the moral dilemma that the son had. Like he he was contacted by that reporter and had to drive like several- several hours to a few times to try to dig up all these results. And then the results basically were going to disprove his father's work. And he had to decide like, do I do it or do I, do I don't and do I not do it? And he decided to go through with it to his credit. Really awesome. So while you're there, listen to episode 10 and then go back and listen to episode nine. Episode nine is called uh, how McDonald's broke my heart. And he talks about how McDonald's French fries used to be amazing delicious. They were crispy on the outside. Uh, They were like pillowy, delicious on the inside. And something happened around 1991. And basically if you have been born before, yeah, before 1991, you know, McDonald's French fries should taste like, and if you were born after 1991, like my wife, Bethany, like you have never had a real McDonald's French fry. Yep. Yep. And that's when they stopped using beef tallow and started using seed oils. Tell us about what would happen, the, the weird things that would start to happen around those frying vats. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Well, one of my favorite studies. So, you know, I mentioned that some people are talking about the uh, negative effect of seed oils, although it's not the AHA or the medical community for the most part. Um, but if you go read the industry journals, they talk about the problems all the time. And one of my favorite papers looks at, I think it was either French fries or potato chips, Um, but they look at how seed oils turn into toxins when you fry them like this, right? And they warn about the possible public health effect of frying uh, potatoes in seed oils because they turn into these toxic products, which are similar to the toxins that are in... um, tobacco smoke, right? Which brings us to one of the more entertaining, you know, just, you know, okay, they people are talking about this stuff. Back in 1987 in the New York Times, they published an article about the high incidence of lung cancer in women in China who didn't smoke, right? And Multiple people have looked at this over the years and they're getting lung cancer because they're cooking with seed oils and the seed oils are turning into toxins and causing cancer. Wow. So we've got, you know, you'd think this would be notable. <laughs> we've got a what's effectively a known human carcinogen, right? I mean, these are cooking oils. It's not like they're misusing them. These are cooking oils that causes lung cancer. It's insane. It's insane. And the three um, things the three things that make these oils oxidize are light, heat, and air, correct? And time. Ugh. Right? I mean, the problem is they're so unstable. So, yeah, if you go read the industry journals, you're going to read about in things like how if you use... Um, you know, in your deep fryer, you're going to get this buildup of what's basically a lacquer, right? Because I mean, um, varnish, rather, let me say a varnish. Varnish is a seed oil, right? It's made from linseed, which is the same thing as flaxseed oil. Flaxseed is basically the food quality version of linseed oil. And linseed oil is what you make, you know, it's what you varnish your furniture with. Now, linseed oil has this little problem where I mean, I heard this when I was a little kid, um, that if you varnish a piece of furniture, you get this, you wind up with this rag soaked in linseed oil and you have to be really careful with it because it can burst into flames, right? So after they started using um, vegetable oils in these fryers, they started having this problem where 
the trucks carrying the laundry with the rags and the uniforms would burst into flames and they would, and unfortunately the cleaning process doesn't clean them out. So they would burst into flames on the way to the laundry. They would burst into front flames in the dryer. They would burst into flames on the way back from the laundry. Right. And this tells, this tells you how, volatile these things are and how unstable they are if even just a rag or a uniform soaked in it is a danger and there are patents about how to deal with this problem of vegetable oils bursting into flames i mean it's crazy um so when i you know so my question was does this does you know, okay, so fine. It's a toxin when you cook with it. It's carcin. It's a carcinogen. It's a fire hazard when you cook with it. You know, but that's outside your body. Does this stuff happen in the body, right? And it turns out the evidence for that is clear. The toxic chemical that they talked about in that potato fryer story is called uh, hydro 4-hydroxynonanol. And we won't need to remember that. We'll just call it HNE, which is the abbreviation commonly used. Um, that's the toxin that they were warning about that's uh, created with French fries. And it turns out that vegetable oils, even if they're not cooked, will turn into that same toxin in your body. And that toxin has been shown to be one of the leading causes of DNA damage. It preferentially mutates the... Um, P53 anti-cancer gene, which is one of the most commonly mutated genes in uh, cancers, 50%, according to a paper that I looked at, um, and likely causes a lot of other genetic damage because HNE isn't the only toxin that's produced. There's another one called malondialdehyde, which is known as MDA. You know, I won't go through a whole bunch of chemical names, but literally they don't even know how many... um, toxic products these chemicals break down into. Um, so yeah, you you know, I mean, again, there's, you know, your doctor's not going to talk about this unless he's very enlightened. The, uh, dietary guidelines tell you to eat this stuff. The epidemiologists who study this stuff, write These hilarious papers where they say that there's no known Darius Mazafarian, who's a cardiologist and an epidemiologist up at Tufts, um, was on a stage with Gary Taubes and Ivor Cummins and someone else. And they asked him if there were any problems with seed oils. And he said, I know of no instance where seed oils are harmful, right? <laughs> and he just published another evidence talking about fish and fish oils and how they appear to be beneficial. He said, except potentially fried fish seems to be harmful. Fried fish. Wow. What do you think they fry fish in? They don't fry it in fish oil. I will tell you that. Right. So, and the Harvard, Harvard uh, school of public health tells you also that vegetable oils are okay, but they tell you fried food is bad for you right? It's harmful and causes heart disease. Wait a minute. What's it fried in, guys? <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. I mean, think of all the things we've talked about today, all these conditions, uh, all of this, you know, inflammatory conditions that you mentioned, you know, the problems in the gut, the bones, the brain. We talked to Chris Kenobi, Dr. Chris Kenobi, about the eyes and age-related macular degeneration coming yeah, from vegetables. Which, which is one of the clearest cases. I mean, I started looking into that in like 2010, 2011, and that's so clear in the literature back then that I didn't even put much effort into it because wow. they were just flat out saying, you know, if you have a lo- if you have a low um, seed oil diet, you're protected from this condition. Adding seed oils or adding fish oil to your diet does not protect you from this condition. So they they you know they figured that out ten years ago. Wow, plus that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, wow, and 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 you know, problems with the sun. It, it, you're you're putting oil in your body that will oxidize with light, heat, and air. Think about that. No wonder we right. all burn right. and fry so you, all the time. Right. So UV light will break it down. Blue light will break it down, which seems to be what causes age-related macular degeneration. Um, 
I mean, there's there was the post that I mentioned that Stefan removed was a post looking at um, referencing a study, which of course still exists, looking at a mouse model for ultraviolet generated skin cancer. There are these nude mice, hairless mice. And they comment that they can control how fast they get skin cancer by how much polyunsaturated fat they give them. Wow. That's notable, right? (laughs) We kind of got a skin cancer problem, guys. Um, And then you can find lots of other papers looking at, you know, oh, let's shine UV light on the skin. Oh, look, the... uh, these fats in your skin break down into H&E, that toxin that I already mentioned, which is highly inflammatory and causes all sorts of, you know, all sorts of damage to your cells. There was one paper I looked at that found, it looked at the protein damage from the breakdown of seed oils in your cells, and it found that it damaged 24% of the proteins in your cells, generally around the energy production system. And of course, all of our biggest diseases now are problems of your cell's energy production system, right? Yeah. That's what diabetes is yep. essentially. Yep. No, I agree. And if, and if you think that just going through your cupboard and removing, you know, the corn oil and the Pam from the pantry, I guess we just lost Pam as a show sponsor, but, um, if you think <laughs> and, and Mazzola, damn, <laughs> that was a twofer. <laughs> ah, crap. <laughs> we do it every every episode. We lose another one. It's it's shame. Um, yeah. If you if you think that doing that is enough, I mean, you have to realize how ubiquitous these things are. These things are in everything. It, you could go to the. We'll we'll lose another one here. Whole Foods. You could go shop at Whole Foods, and pretty much every quote unquote healthy thing that you can buy is full of these toxic terrible oxidized oils. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a whole foods customer, but it's, you know, they're pre they're prepared foods, you know, the stuff that they have out. So you can, the heated foods that you can, you know, put in a box and take home are all made with lots of seed oils. Now, what's interesting is, um, the industry is making, so, you know, just to back up a little bit, um, The harmful part of seed oils are what's known as the omega-6 fats, primarily one called linoleic acid, right? That's what we're concerned about. That's what causes, that's what the only thing that H&E is made from in your body is effectively linoleic acid and another fat that's also made from linoleic acid. So this is as clear a path as you can get in terms of human biology, right? You have linoleic acid, you have H&E, you have all the damages that H and E causes into your uh, causes in your body. And there are entire journal issues with, you know, dozens of papers detailing those harms. So I won't go into all of that right now. So industry recognizes that this is a problem and they are trying to get it out of their products. And they are doing this in two ways. Basically they're breeding plants so that they have lower uh, linoleic acid and they are creating GMO versions of these um, plants like soybean oil, for instance, that have lower linoleic acid, which leads to my all time favorite uh, article. So now this is from an industry journal called Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News, really light really light reading. I hear the sports section is fantastic. Um, And the title of this article is GMO sourced soybean oil causes less obesity than conventional oil. Let me repeat that. GMO sourced soybean oil causes less obesity than conventional oil, right? So when I say industry knows what's going on, I'm not exaggerating. They are producing products to improve this issue. And God bless them for that, right? God bless them for doing that. They are way ahead of the game when it comes to realizing what's going on here. So there was a paper published a couple of years ago by Francis uh, Sladek, Sladek, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so my apologies uh, to her that said, you know, soybean oil causes obesity and coconut oil does not. 
in mice, of course. Um, so DuPont, who produced this GMO source, this GMO soybean oil called Plenish, hired her to do another study <laughs> showing that their paper is better or that their product is better than the regular soybean oil, which she did. Wow. Right. That's wow. that's the conclusion. Still not as good as coconut oil, which, by the way, Harvard University will tell you is harmful. Right. I mean, there, it's important to know, to realize something. Right. There's toxicology is a branch of science, obviously a very important one when it comes to pharmaceuticals and food products. Right. They do toxicology studies in animals and they generally don't ever replicate them in humans. I mean, for a pharmaceutical, they will. Because, you know, the benefit of the pharmaceutical might outweigh whatever toxic uh, quality it has on humans. But generally, the principle is that, you know, toxic effects in animals are generally replicated in humans. So this is failing. You know, if, if you were going to introduce this as a product nowadays. OK, let's see. What are the negative effects that it has in animals and sometimes in humans? It causes liver disease. It causes blindness via age-related macular degeneration. It causes cancer via cooking with it, <laughs> right? I mean, I haven't even gotten into the heart disease part of the story yet. Um, you know, it's just, there's no way that a product like this would ever, it causes obesity, clearly in animals, right? Just so happens that the biggest change in the last hundred years in the human diet in America has been the increase in soybean oil, right? A thousand fold higher than it was at the beginning of the 20th century. Wow. Coincidentally, we're having an obesity epidemic. Coincidentally, it causes obesity in animals as shown in multiple studies. But it's oh, it's coincidentally, in humans, it causes insulin resistance. You know, oh, goodness, we have a diabetes epidemic too. Ah, oh, what a surprise. It's butter's fault. Butter... It, it was butter's fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Oh, that's the best thing they do. They blame it on red meat. Consumption of red meat's been going down. Consumption of animal fats going down. It's, it's crazy. Just, it, we've said this so many times on the show, like it has to be true because you couldn't make this up. I was going to say, I think it's really important to put the blame. There's blame to go around, to go around on this, obviously. I think it's really important to put the blame where it, belongs, right? Industry, when they came up with these products originally, they thought they were doing a good thing. I mean, I think the best comparison to the problems we have with seed oils is smoking, which used to be used to be thought it was healthy. You know, if you have, if you smoke a cigarette, you don't get lung cancer the next day. It's not obviously toxic. It takes decades. I think 20 years is the number they use, right? And this is similar. It's not it's mildly acutely toxic. If you go on a high seed oil diet, you will get sick immediately. You will get nauseous and want to stop it. There are multiple studies showing that, but you're not going to get cancer the next day and you're not going to get a heart attack the next day and you're not going to get fat the next day. And it's really difficult for industry to detect something like that when they're coming out with a new product, right? And industry now is really diligently trying to correct this problem because they don't want to get sued. And there are lots of lawyers out there who would just love to get a hold of a story like this, right? I think, you know, we got to point the finger at the people who are ignoring the evidence against these things, which goes way back that it is harmful and should not be used as part of the human diet. Um, and that mainly points the finger at, you know, the medical and dietary professions. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah. That's very well said. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think anybody had really horrible intentions when this got started, but once you learn, you need to walk back what you originally thought and, and provide a better way. And that certainly hasn't happened this far. <laughs> uh, and, they, and you know, the doctors to their credit, they did that with smoking. They turned around and said, no, you have to stop this. It's really harmful. And people listened. Yep. That's right. That's right.
Wow. Yeah, man, this has been awesome. It's such a great conversation. We, you're right. We didn't get into heart disease or, you know, I want to talk to you about barefoot running. Maybe we could have you on another time and we could kind of jive on that. I would just love hearing. Like I said, can you, can you imagine in my office where I said, I can't talk? Well, after the celebration ended, they were like, we better take him to the hospital. That's awesome. That's why we, that's why we brought you on, man. We love your content. And um, thank you so much for educating all this. What is one simple thing you want a listener to take away from this conversation and apply to their life? Uh, don't eat seed oils. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. That's great. Where do you want people to That's go it. to find your work? Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, my handle's Tucker Goodrich, uh, at Tucker Goodrich. And I have a blog, yelling-stop.blogspot.com, um, which I've been doing since 2010. Maybe there's a ton um, of content on there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's organized in a way that makes sense to me. The best thing to do is search for topics, honestly. Um, cause I'm, you know, the topics are pretty broad, like barefoot running and diseases of civilization and things like that. Um, it's great. but yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I found, I literally, I think got over 2000 blog posts on there. So yeah, that, I think that's what I saw. It's amazing. You have tons and tons of content has a lot of reach. Like you said, a lot of different topics. Um, yeah, it's an awesome resource. We'll make sure to leave that in the notes. Tucker Goodrich, what an awesome conversation. Um, my dog Tucker has been here waiting. I told him, you know, if, if Tucker Goodrich <laughs> kind of, you know, shits the bed, we're going to, we're going to bring you in and you're going to be our Tucker and he's been waiting and, and you have absolutely provided no reason for me to invite him on. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you so much for not only doing the research, but making this your crusade and sharing the message with others so that other people can hear it. That's, it's really inspiring. Thank you for having me on Casey. It's been, it's been an honor. You should probably take Tucker for a walk now. <laughs> I probably should. Probably should. You probably need to go on a walk yourself. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, awesome. Have well, a great day. Again. You too. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. 